Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Christmas show, Coffee with Coach. And we have an extra special present to give you on Christmas. And that's one of the best analysts in all the world. And I'm, I say that not because he's my friend, but because it's true. If you want to know about ball and you want to know about how this whole thing works, then you got to get with Bucky Brooks. And he does a number of things for NFL Network. He's in... Uh, uh, radio partner with the Jags, does radio work with mm-hmm. the Jaguars. He is, uh, his show, uh, Moving the Sticks, is like now it's gone from a podcast. I, ch- I caught you on TV the other day, man. What? <laughs> you, got, is not, you guys now have a television show? What is happening? Yeah, so they're doing it all. They're trying to break it out. You know anything, man. It's all uh, content. Like if you podcast and you, you, you click on the camera, now you got a video, you YouTube it, you stream it, whatever it is. So. We're doing. What's up with you, man? What's happening? I'm good. I, hey, before, now let's 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 stay on that topic one second. How can our viewers and listeners catch your stuff? Because I, I'm t- I'm just telling you that to everybody listening. If you want to know the real deal, then get with Bucky. Because there's a lot of guys that think they know. It's just like Jim Morris said. You think you know, but you don't know, and you'll never know. And Bucky does know. So how do, how do people subscribe to what you do? Uh, so they can hit me up uh, on Twitter, at Bucky Brooks. Uh, follow me there. Uh, Instagram is at Big Play Football. Uh, look, NFL.com is where most of my writing lives. I got some other stuff on Fox Sports Digital. You can get that on your app. Uh, all things, man. Just talking ball. Just chopping up shop. Dude, when I was, when I was living in Philly, there was a – there was a radio personality, Howard Stern. I don't know if I don't know if you know about Howard Stern. Oh, but Howard his Stern. like I like I don't know who Howard Stern. Is. Howard, but yeah. listen, but his his thing was he was the self-proclaimed king of all media. And I, now I know you because I know you. You ain't never gonna self-proclaim yourself anything. But I will call you the king of all NFL media. No, I can't. I can't. I can't be the king because the king has a a level of ransom that is significant. <laughs> I am, well, I you would be on, you would yeah, be on I'm this show. A, yeah, I'm still, a, I'm, still, I'm still the jester or the popper or whatever you want to call it. Like I'm, I'm still low on the rung. We're trying though. I'm trying to get hey. in the castle. I'm trying to get in hey, the castle. Let's get started with a question that you and I chopped up in, you know, in private uh, a week ago. And that's the difficulty of a coach moving from college football to the National Football League. And you were close, obviously, doing the radio stuff with the Jaguars. You, you saw that rise and quick fall of, you know, the Urban Meyer regime in, in Jacksonville. But what are the things that make it so difficult? Why would a guy who had all the success that he had struggle, struggle, struggle in Jacksonville? Uh, number one thing is you have to understand it's a completely different game. And we can talk about the differences on the field, but who you're coaching, different. It's different coaching 18 to 22-year-olds and, and coaching grown men. I didn't think it was that different because it appeared that he had a, a understanding of that coming in, but it's different. And so some of the tactics and strategies that you would use to motivate young people, you can't use those same things with uh, grown-ups. In the National Football League or in any professional league, it's a partnership. It's a cooperation. Your job as the coach is to get everybody heading in the right direction by being able to tell them, hey, man, if you pour into the team, the team will give you opportunities to take care of yourself, either with this team or with another team. And you have to be able to convince guys of 
the buy-in is not necessarily just for the good of the team, but it's also for yourself. When you're dealing with young people in college, you're kind of the gatekeeper because a lot of those guys want to win a national championship and those things, but they also want to play pro. So they will be complicit based on trying to get the carrot at the end of the, the stick. And the pros, it's a little different because everyone wants to get paid. They want to get a significant contract with life-changing money. Um, and the only way you can do those things is you got to perform and you got to produce. Well, they will buy into you if you can show them that you can make them better players and that they can get that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And so that's the difference. And I think that's the struggle that Urban Meyer had when he came to Jacksonville. You know, that's something, Bucky, that when I was a very young coach coming into pro football, that's one of the great lessons I got from an old veteran coach. Is he, said, he said, be yourself. They'll buy in as long as they believe you, you can help them get to their goal, which is obviously another contract, the next contract, the financial mm -hmm. wherewithal, and a championship. Jack Armstrong, who's the color radio guy for the Toronto Raptors, uh, is a really interesting guy, ex-coach, and he described it this way in the NBA. He said, in the NBA, you have to be able to get along with your top three players. The, the guys at the end of the bench, they just kind of follow along, but you better be able to get along with your, with your top three players. Is there any of that you think in the National Football League where your superstars, you got to be able to manage your superstars? Oh, it absolutely is that. Uh, the most important people that you have to have on board, your franchise quarterback has to believe that what you're saying is legitimate. And then it's the handful of star players. They have to believe that what you're selling is going to benefit them and the team. And if you get those people on board, then you have a chance. And, you know, the thing is, like Jeff, and you know it, having coached professionals for a long time, number one thing you have to do is you got to be yourself. The second thing you have to do is you have to be truthful and transparent. You have to be very honest in what you say you better mean. And if you mess it up, the best thing that you can do is say, hey, guys, I messed this one up. You can't put it on anybody else. You got to take accountability. And so it's the same things, which is weird. It's the same things that you talk about in high school and literally a commitment, accountability and trust. Everyone in the building needs to be committed to the program. Everyone needs to be accountable to each other. And if you have those two things, then you can develop the trust that's necessary to win at the highest level. And, you know, it's funny because when I talk to those guys and we're talking about Urban Meyer specifically, when I talk to the players, the players were all in in the summer, all in, hey man, he's great. You talk to Trevor Lawrence, you talk to Josh Allen, you talk to some of the other, LaVisca Chenault, the top players were, hey man, this dude is super competitive. He has a plan, we're working hard. He upgraded all the facilities and the stuff around it. We're go, 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 go. And then they had the incident in Columbus where he committed the cardinal sin of not going back on the plane with the team. And that is almost like the Titanic. If the ship is going down, you gotta go down with the ship. You can't be on the little dinghy like, hey guys, hey, you know, it's great, I'm out. <laughs> See can't do it. And so coming off a loss to Cincinnati, which was a last minute loss, you cannot let the team plane go back and you stay. Hey man, we can talk about whatever you got caught up with a little incident or whatever, like in Columbus, that's one thing. If he goes back with the team and that shows up, it's not an issue. But when you don't go back with the team and you get pinched up in something like that, uh, all the credibility is gone because all those messages that you, that you sent out there, 
are now null and void. It's not null and void because you got caught. Because now when you get back in front of the team, Jeff, it could have been squashed like this. If he stands in front of the team was like, guys, I screwed this one up. I should have gone back on the plane with you guys. And look, I put myself in a position where I embarrassed the team. Can you forgive me? In the signs, signs in Jacksonville's stadium, all throughout the building, there are a couple of things that are said. The number one thing is own it. His big thing was own it. Own the logo, own the uniform, own how we do it, or whatever. Then there was some other stuff. At that point, Jeff, all he had to do is do what the placard says. Own it. Hey, guys, I'm in the doghouse. I messed up. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble at the crib. Hey, they would have been able to relate to that. They'd have been like, all right, you coach, know, we got it. Because that's been my experience is that the locker room is an extremely forgiving place as long as you're honest and they see you as being sincere. I question even Buck, the way that he went about apologizing to the team where he did it in separate individual meeting rooms rather than all together in front of his entire team. Yeah, man, like, like, yeah. And so here's why it's so disappointing to me, right? You and I are tight, right? And I'll hang on some of your words and stuff like that. But man, if you don't live some of those things that you're talking about, like some of those things that you put in leadership books, some of those things that I've heard you say repeatedly on podcasts that are core values to the team and all of this stuff. And then when you meet a real level of adversity, doing what you say that this is what you do, you're a leader, you're the ultimate leader of the program. And in a time of crisis, you don't live out some of those things that you talk about, where we talk about being vulnerable and honest and open and, hey man, it's over. It's over at that point. We can talk about piecing it together, but it's over because you can't get those guys back because they're now looking at you like, man, this was the easy thing that he could have got. All he had to do was tell us like, hey guys, here's where I messed just, up. Just be real. Here's where I messed up. Look, they would have laughed and kikied and all that other stuff. Ah, coach, ah, what you doing? But then they would have moved on. Yeah. But by him skirting the issue and, and not just addressing it and all that other stuff, he lost the team. And then the other stuff was, you know, like he did a lot of different things. I would say a lot of unorthodox things for the NFL game. So for instance, as a coach, you know, when you're having practices, everything is timed. You have periods. There's either a clock or a horn or a manager that blows the horn. Hey, period, period three, period four. Well, he had a narrator, right? So whoa, there's a guy whoa. like a, like a disc jockey. Oh, Come on, man. Not not even not even a DJ. Come on, man. He had a guy that liked the apparatus that you would have during special teams period. The thing that goes around, you got the bullhorn or whatever. Oh, so you can be heard horn, on the field. Horn blows. Period four, mental focus, focus, focus and finish. So he's narrating what the emphasis of the period is. So if you can imagine for all 24 periods in a two hour practice, this guy saying hydrate, make sure you hydrate, concentrate, concentrate. So now you, you're like, all right, man, this is the thing. He's trying to keep them engaged or whatever. But then you start doing that. And then you start having other things that were, I mean, they practice hard, but like, hey, I'm, I'm a fan of practicing hard. Like, yeah, I understand that you practice hard, but you take care of them. So his own thing was like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna work hard, 
but man, I'm gonna take care of you. So he got all this equipment, cryotherapy, um, infrared, massage, like everything, state of the art. So he did all that, but it was still different. And you know, anytime you do something different in that league, those veterans that have been around are like, mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. see what this look like. And when you, <laughs> you better win, brother. You better win now. <laughs> and, when, and when you don't win, it comes back on you. And so you had some of that stuff come, and they just weren't organized, just not detailed. And I think that's the biggest thing because now I will say this, and I was the biggest urban fan going, I was like, oh, he's a program builder, he'd do it. The college game, when you're at Ohio State, Jeff, you may play one or two games that go into the fourth quarter where you really got to coach your tail off to understand time, score, situation, how are we going to play this? Uh, hey, look, this is a game where, look, we may need to steal some yards in the kicking game and all that. Mm-hmm. The pro game, every game is like that. Yeah. The pro game, every game is situational football, complimentary football. How are we going to handle this? Hey, what's the best way for us to do it? Hey, we're struggling on defense, offense. Need to pick it up, or a offense we're bad, but defense we got them under control. Scale it back. All of those things matter. He didn't have that in his bag, and I was disappointed. The pro game is about tactics and strategy. He comes from the college game, where it's personnel and recruiting. I got better guys than you. I roll out the ball, we go play. I'm great. Pro game's not like that. Pro game, you better be able to coach, and that's in any league. You know that from the yeah. You better be able to coach. Here's the thing that, that, you know, I mean, I look at Petrino's situation, this situation, go all the way back to Lou Holtz's situation when he went to the Jets for one year. I think about a guy like David Shaw at Stanford, who I think is a brilliant young football coach and done an amazing job at Stanford. Is this going to hurt a guy like that who – you know, grew up in a pro football family, I know has aspirations mm-hmm. beyond Stanford. I, I just hate, I would hate to have everybody labeled with that, you know, because you know how it is. To get a label is the easiest thing in pro sports. To get it off of you is the hardest thing in pro sports. Yeah, I think it'd be a pause on some of those college guys. Uh, just because, like, he's he's not the only one struggling. Matt Rule is struggling a little bit in Carolina. Um, look, man, the pro game is a different game. Uh, just like you would tell me, uh, if I came up to Canada, hey, you better be in that league for a little bit. When I came and worked with you and into yeah. entering for a week, I was like, whoa, whoa, what is this? Ooh, this is a little different. So you have to work in that league to really understand it. Same thing with the pro. You have to be around it and understand the inner workings of the league to know how to navigate situations, to know how to deal with personnel and players, to know how to handle the changing dynamics of the game. It takes experience. With experience comes expertise. And if you don't have a level of expertise in, in that in that league, in any professional league, you get exposed real quick and you'd be out the door. Yeah, no question. You know, one of the things about, about coaching, and I watch, I really watch the NFL game very close because as much as anything, I love to watch the coaches. I like to see the strategy in the game. I like to see who manages the game. I think manages the game. I, I, I go to that, I think it was a Monday night game in Buffalo where New England comes into play and it's like a gale outside outside. and they take the hottest quarterback in the AFC and they throw the ball four times in the Mm -hmm. entire football game. But, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not a big Belichick fan, but I'm going to tell you something. One of the things that impressed me about that night was whatever it takes to win, they're going to do. 
regardless mm -hmm. of egos, regardless of how Josh McDaniels feels or who's calling the play. This is what it's going to take to win in mm -hmm. this game, this situation. I, I just think that is really the mark of a guy that really is tuned into his football team. Absolutely. Whatever it takes, it takes, right? Whatever it takes, it takes. And everyone talks about that. Everyone talks about the bottom line is winning and we'll do whatever it takes to win. But how many people are willing to check your ego in the door and do that? So for instance, say you're an offensive coach, you're an offensive guru, your background was offense, but man, you happen to be coaching a team where the offense stinks, but the defense is lights out. Can you say, hey man, right now, our best way of winning is dominate on defense, crush people in the kicking game, and then find a way not to mess it up on offense. On offense. <laughs> if that means that, hey, say Justin Tucker's our kicker. Hey, man, every time we get to the 35, no more passes. Don't lose. We got an automatic three. Right. Can you check your ego at the door and say, hey, man, this is what we have to do. I would like to do something differently, but this is the best way for us to win. Bill Belichick showed us, hey, man, I'll do whatever, whatever it takes to win. But not only that, I think it was the response of the team. Yeah. When the team celebrated, they celebrated like, and we just win games. And so to me, there still is that adolescent nature of the pro game where they still want to please the coach. You just got to earn that trust and develop that bond between player and coach to be, be able to make it happen. All right. So let's talk about a team that has pleased the coach a lot in the last seven weeks. And it's a team that started one and seven. I don't know, Bucky, if mm – -hmm. I can remember a team that's that's gone on a string like the Dolphins have gone on. Yeah. What do you what when you watch that football team? What about them is different now than they were when they were one and six and they were calling for Flory's job and Tua was going to get you know mm -hmm. they're going to trade and you know get Watson. In. I mean, it's just what is it now as you look at the at the Dolphins that makes them so different? If you're around the league long enough, you begin <laughs> to figure out that it takes about half of the season to figure out what your team is. We all start the off season like, oh, we're gonna be able to do this and this is how we're gonna play and this and that. And then they kick it off for real. And you're like, ah, we're not as good as we thought we were in this area. We may be better in this area than we thought. So what's the best way for us to win games? What is our formula? Because every team has a formula and a recipe for winning. Well, early in the year, the Miami Dolphins had new offensive coordinators uh, George Gossi and Eric Studesville trying to figure out how they wanted to play. Uh, they had the quarterback, too, who was still like a, a rookie, in essence, uh, trying to figure out what to do with him. They're bringing out these new pieces, Jalen Water, Will Fuller, and all these other guys. And so it took them the first part of the season to figure out what's their offensive identity. And what they did, Jeff, is they went to an RPO-based system, which is very much like what he did at Alabama, because their offensive line isn't very good. So it was a lot of run pass option plays where he is putting the ball in the belly. He's looking at a second level defender and he's ripping a slant or a quick out or something down the seam. They had started having some success. And then defensively, they decided that we're going to solve all our problems with pressure. So they decided we're going to be a cover zero team. We're going to dial it up. We're going to live on the edge and we're going to be great at it. And what they did is they not only changed their style stylistically but what they did is you could tell in practice they worked on those things they didn't miss tackles in space because when you're playing cover zero where you're bringing one more than they can block you're saying hey guys on the back end you got to be able to hold up in coverage and you got to be able to tackle 
And so they're doing those things and they're dictating the terms to the opponent. Because, you know, when you bring all out pressure, there's only a handful of things you can do. You can throw it quick. You can throw a screen. Quarterback can run around. But they're doing it. And they also, with the cover zero stuff that they did, they brought what I call zero pressure. But it ended up being simulated zero pressure where they're mm-hmm. bringing everybody to start. But then they're having linebackers attract the eyes of an interior de- defender, blocker. And they're like, ah, we're out. So now this guy's blocking air, but the edge guys are coming. And right. so they, they've created a bit of a scheme that is, is complex and hard and people haven't figured it out yet. So they're getting turnovers, they're knocking you off. And as you know, man, it's about momentum and confidence. Now they're a confident team. And so now you don't want to deal with them. And that's what's happened. The Dolphins have gotten hot. Here's another team I think that's confident right now. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs, there was six weeks ago, you start to hear grumbling from the defensive players, Fran Matthews complaining about the fans who are on their tail about mm-hmm. they're not winning. Quarterbacks turning the ball over too much. Defense can't stop anybody. Now, again, we, we get this, we hit reversal and, and you're looking at one of the best football teams in the National Football League right now when you need to be hot and you need to be healthy. The Chiefs are trending in that way. Same thing, same question. What about the Chiefs is different today than when they were struggling at three and three. We talked about it earlier. Andy Reid checked his ego at the door. Andy Reid, the Chiefs for as long as we've known him, it's been about that offense and that defense is just wagging the tail at the end, right? All we're asking them to do is, hey, just get a stop at the end. It looks like an arena football game. It's back and forth, up and down or whatever. Well, what happened? They turned the ball over at a rate that was ridiculous. I mean, they still now, I mean, Jeff, like they have, I think 25 turnovers, which is only behind the New York Jets. The thing that changed is the defense started playing better. They moved Chris Jones from outside to inside. They added Melvin Ingram. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo said that Melvin Ingram made them play angry because he plays angry. And as silly as it sounds, those attitudes are contagious. When you start having an angry bird that is out there playing and he's making plays, well, then everyone kind of gets a little ornery and starts playing like that. Chris Jones moving inside now put him back in his natural position. So I want to look at, I looked at the numbers, his pressure rate before they moved him was at about 8%. He's getting pressures on an 8% time. Since then he's at 14%. The overall defense is now getting pressures on 30% of their defensive snaps. They are coming after you. The other thing, and you know, this, we talk about it all the time. If you want to know how to win games in, the, in any football, national football league, CFL or whatever, get a turnover. You win the turnover battle, you win games. Since week nine, the Kansas City Chiefs have 17 turnovers, most in the National Football League. Their turnover differential is plus 11 during that same span. You want to win games? You take it away more than you give it up, and you take it away better than anybody in the league, you win games. So during that streak, they've turned it over more than anybody else in terms of taking it away. That's why they win it. So then what Andy Reid did was like, hmm, Defense is kind of rolling. Hey, Pat. Hey, man, you're MVP and all, but we're going to choke this down a little bit. Take the check down. You don't have to rush it. And they've learned how to play what I would say a little dink and dunk football. So now the scary thing for the rest of the league, the league messed up. When they were three and four, hey, man, you got to go ahead and kill them. You got to go ahead and stick the stake through the vampire's heart. Now they messed around and they are the number one seed. And you all know that 40-point game, is always lurking in the background. So now you're giving a team 
another way to win games where they're confident, like, hey, if we got to grind it out, we can do it. But they always have that 40 burger that they can throw up. And in the playoffs, if they only have two games to get to the Super Bowl, nighty night because it's coming. Especially, especially if they're both in Arrowhead because that's a hard it's place coming. to play late in the year. It's coming. Hey, let's talk about another team, and, and, and then I'm going to bring Mike out just to, for the end. But have we seen the end in Seattle? Are we looking now at a long-term rebuild? You got the oldest, you got the oldest coach in the National Football League, right? Has he got the energy? And I saw things out of Pete this year that I've never seen, but when he walks out in a press conference, where you see him on the sideline, and, you know, you know, I mean, we've been around the guy. The guy is nonstop positive. Yeah. But I, I, I looked at him the other day on the sidelines in that game they lost last week where they, they were so bad on offense. And I see a guy that looked old, looked like the oldest football coach in the National yeah. Football League. You know what ages you? Getting your tail Losing. kicked. Losing. <laughs> Getting your tail kicked every week. That's what ages you. And they were taking losses. In fact, he said it at Preston when he locked up. He said, man, I don't know how to deal with this losing stuff. Because he's never really had to lose. He hasn't lost like that in 20 years. Like SC, he went on a remarkable not, run. Not since he, he was lost. in New England. Yeah, he lost early in Seattle, but then Russell came, they started winning. It was all fun, and hey, all my stuff works, and rah, 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 and this and that. And so now it's it's tough because of the rebuild. And as you know it, man, those those teams are special. And you go to back-to-back Super Bowls, you win one, you lose the other when you should have won it. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. And as much as we want to say, like, hey, man, we just fixed this and that, and we'll be right back. Man, them rebuilds are hard. Ain't work like that. Hard. It ain't work it's like hard. that. And so now they're at a point where offensively, I don't think Russ has played really well. You know, people are talking about the finger. He hasn't played really well in the last year. Since the middle of last season, he had a turnover game against Buffalo. It has been downhill since then. People playing too deep coverage because he's not a rhythm quarterback. He's mm-hmm. a guy that likes to play sandlot football, wants to run around and make big plays. Well, now what people are doing, and it's the trend in the league. Everyone is sitting those safeties back in the parking lot. Nah, dude, no, no big, no big plays, no, no deep plays. plays. Can you dink and dunk? It? And that's not the, the strength of his game. And then defensively, they still haven't been able to fix. They broke up the Legion of Boom partially to give Russell the opportunity to lead the team. And they haven't been able to build it back. Humpty Dumpty has not been able to be repaired. It fell off. It cracked. They haven't been able to fix it. And so it's a long rebuild. And so they got to figure out how to do it. And their best players that command the most money that they can't get out, Bobby Wagner, Jamal Adams, Russell, they all, they're old. They're older. Jamal's not old, but they're older. And it's big money. So now you got a draft well with no picks. It's going to be tough, man. It's going to be tough to do them. Now, I wouldn't count him out because he's been able to be successful, but it's hard. You know, I don't think people realize how much, like you take a kid like Rashad Penn, who is in very average back when you watch him play. Very average mm-hmm. back. When you mm-hmm. take a guy high and he doesn't play up to his draft status, doesn't take very many of those. And you you got big time holes in your program. And holes in your program, that they've never fixed the offensive line. Never. Mm-hmm. Never. And, and they spent money on it. They went free agent. They tried to recruit athletes. I mean, I, I just think that, you know, you look at it and you mentioned the, the changing of the guard when mm-hmm. they wanted it to become Russell's team, not only financially it became Russell's team because he had the big contract, but now you take a Michael Bennett out of the mix and you take all those, 
personalities away. And then there, there was, that void never got filled, never got filled. No, I never got filled in their identity change. See, because once again, we talked about the biggest thing that you can have is commitment, accountability, and trust. Um, the Seattle Seahawks were built on a certain brand. They were built on, we're a physical, hard-nosed, blue-collar team. We run the football. We play great defense. And then Russell is a playmaker that makes it happen when we have to happen. The more they've gotten away from that and tried to make Russell the playmaker that is the, at the front and center of the program, the worse the team has gotten. I mean, you're talking about a team that hasn't been back to the championship game since they gave him the team. And so I think that's what people have to understand. As much as we romanticize the quarterback and the quarterback, is look, he's the most important player on the field. It's still a team deal. And everybody has a recipe for success. The Seattle Seahawks have gotten worse because they got away from the formula that really made them a dominant team in the early 2010s, you know? Yeah, no question. Michael, get out here. You're talking about team. Come on out here. Now, I got to tell Hi. you, for, first, right off, the, right off the top, that is an all-time Christmas sweater you got on. So what is it? Christmas Eve in Ireland already? It's, it's a yeah. It's Christmas Eve. Well, yeah, it's Christmas Eve here. This this is going out on Christmas Eve. I, I really enjoyed what Bucky was saying there, especially about the Seahawks. Bucky, completely agree with you. I'm actually picking the Bears on Sunday to beat mm -hmm. the Seahawks. Did you watch the game? Let me ask you. Did you watch the game last week? Did you? I watch was at the game on Monday. I was at the game on Monday, and you I think watched it really the ad. How many beers did you have before? We uh, I, you, I couldn't. I couldn't have an. I couldn't have a beer in the press section. But I, seriously, though, when Matt Nagy walked into the press room after the game, it was as if everything had flipped, and the respect was there, and it was so weird. Like it was so quiet. There was no demand or you know questions that were you know Matt you know was this good enough? It was just very. But 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 before he walked in, you know, they were all talking. Oh, this this is awful. Like, it was just really funny. But, it is. Yeah. yeah. It is. It was terrible. It's it hard to watch. How, how <laughs> 400 yards of offense and you score what nine points to beat 17 9? And, and how last, many and then last touchdown counts? Yeah, pre snap penalties, just bad, bad, bad football. So, before you can win games, you have to know how not to lose them. And we talk about it, man turnovers, penalties, big plays allowed, and then mistakes in the kicking game. Check, 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 check. <laughs> that was the Bears report card. That's why, they, one. That's, why they, that's why they lost. And so uh, they just didn't look like a well-coached team. And it's hard for me to say, because I never really come down at coaches, but they didn't look like a well-coached team. It would be hard. It'd be hard to continue to look at that kind of ball in Chicago. Hmm. I, don't, I don't think they will. I think, I think both Pace and Nagy are going to pay, pay for it. You know, it's, that's too proud. There's, that's too, you can say what you want about the McCaskies and all that, but that's a too proud of an organization that's won too many football games for those fans to continue to you know, live through that. Buck, I appreciate you coming on, my man. As always, it's awesome chopping it up. What's the, what's the plans for Christmas in the, in the uh, Bucky household? Uh, not too much. I got the game. I got the Browns and the Packers. Uh, we're covering that game on Amazon prime twitch so i'll be i'll be uh up and at them talking about uh aaron Rodgers and go back go and if they're gonna make a run is that okay give me a prediction oh they're gonna they're gonna i mean they're gonna put their hands on the deep, ground deep deep oh, i know that but i mean can, <laughs> they, can they go how deep in the playoffs oh uh, they can go deep i think i think i think they're i think they're this is the most complete packer team that aaron Rodgers has had since they went back to the super bowl the last time this team has a physical element to it from the running game. A.J. Dillon, everyone hated the picks 
when the Packers went out and got a running back in the second round a couple of years ago, oh, what are they doing? They got to get more weapons. Well, the running game has made the game easy for Aaron Rodgers. And then defensively, man, they do a really good job. Joe Barry, Jerry Gray, they've done a really good job of taking the ball away. That gives them a chance. I'm glad you hit on Jerry Gray because I think Jerry Gray is a guy. I look at Jerry Gray and I say, man, what, what's a guy got to do to get a job in this league? Cycle, here's a guy. Yeah, I'm yeah. just telling you, he, I mean, he great player in the league, had all kinds of success as a coach, numerous stops in the league, and can't, can't get a job. I mean, I, I gotta, somebody got to tell me why. I mean, I just got to know. Yeah, you got to get it when you're hot, man. And unfortunately for him, like when the cycle was hot for me, it just never, it just didn't pan out. But he certainly made an impact. And I think those around the game certainly know how he's been able to influence. You look at the way that secondary plays now and the way they played last year. Come on, man. It's not this. But also playing more zone, eyes on the ball. Man, that's what you're yeah. seeing, man. You're seeing guys that can eyes on the ball and do some stuff or whatever. I will give everybody a tip because I know you guys are looking at game pass and seeing all the stuff. If you want to see great defense, man, you go watch what the New Orleans Saints did to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh, the way they oh ouch. And the way they played man match coverage and the way they were passing stuff off. Hey, Jeff, it was a clinic. It was a clinic. It was about as good as the Broncos playing against the Dallas Cowboys. So that's my little nugget. Okay, I'm gonna take that. I'm gonna take you up on that because I got the all 22 of that game. But here's the thing that, that like when I watched it. I could feel the energy of that defense through the television set. That was as physical a regular season football game. It, that had like playoff intensity, the way that defense came to play that day. The other thing is, and I'll say this before I go, because I'm getting a text like, oh, you beat me up for this so long. <laughs> um, uh, I will say this, the Saints aren't afraid of the Bucks, And there's something like that. We talk about matchups or whatever. There's some teams that it doesn't matter how good they are, that when you walk on the field, you look across the, the, on the other side and you're like, hey, man, all that stuff that y'all did to the other body, yeah, don't work on us. <laughs> and that's how the New Orleans Saints, man, look, they've beaten Tom Brady. They're 4-0 in the regular season against Tom Brady. Tom Brady, I want to say, has nine interceptions against, eight interceptions against the Saints in those four regular season matchups. Look, he came and got him in the playoffs, but the Saints are not afraid of them at all. And the reason why A.B. is back is because, one, Godwin got hurt. But those guys couldn't separate against man coverage. They couldn't separate. God, not, that, not, not against those guys. They're good in the back end. Yeah, they couldn't. They couldn't separate. And so that's the blueprint. I don't know if other people can duplicate it, but we'll see. I'll pick you up on that hit on that tip. Thank you very yeah. much. Hey, listen, man, <laughs> I appreciate it big time. You coming on, Melek Maka to the family, the all the whole Brooks clan, and uh, tell Trey I said, man, just keep swinging for the fences. Yeah, we'll, we'll tell them. Keep swinging. Keep playing. Yeah. All, right. All right, man. Appreciate you guys. All right. Later. Thanks, Buck. Let it up. Michael, one of the great ones of, I don't know, man. I, like, that guy is straight football. And you talk, like, it, it's so much fun when we get him on the show because it's like another level of analysis. It's another level of, you know, understanding of the whole thing and really some great insights about what was going on in Jacksonville with the whole Urban Meyer situation. Even for, it doesn't matter how advanced you are in terms of your knowledge of football or whatever, that was a great lesson. And with the, he was saying there about Amazon and Twitch, with the Amazon deal next year coming into the league, I think it's going to be even better because we're going to hear from Bucky a lot more as well over here. Um, I, I, I'm excited to hear it more and more and just especially what he said about Urban Meyer and the Jaguars there and just coaching in general. It was it was great to hear, great to listen to. And um, he's been in your show. I think that's his third time on this show, Jeff. Uh, 
fantastic to hear and, and always good to hear from Bucky Brooks. Yep. And always good to have you around, my man. And I got to say this publicly <laughs> to everybody out there that this show would not be possible without all the work that you put into it and all you've done for us. And, you know, at, at Christmas time, it's, it's time to celebrate. And, uh, you know, I, I want to say thank you to you for everything that you've done and the, your friendship and, and uh, your partnership in, in putting this thing together every week and i think what it was it's like number 80 isn't it we're getting close well look it's 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 my bad i i obviously appreciate it, it was very kind comments and i i really enjoyed doing it too and thank you very much it's my bad because we didn't, we didn't have one last week so sorry i think it was the first week we didn't do one <laughs> but it was just crazy because i was going to the states and just doing so much stuff just doesn't get just didn't get a chance to do it. but i think this is number 80 uh, I'll, I'll put it up i'll put it up as you said at the start jeff as a christmas special have you any uh significant plans for christmas those are two gonna, nice games and going I'm by your time be. going by your time zone you're, you're gonna watch them very early whereas ah. we're like uh <laughs> i'm gonna be in the water by sun by the, by the time the sun gets up and uh, uh that's just a hawaiian tradition that we have we get to go to the ocean and hang out and you know probably till about 10 30 when the games come on and i'll find my way back home and, and watch a little football on christmas and i hope by, by that time, we'll have news on when we're coming over. It should be next week sometime. So we will do this live in Ireland, one show. I guarantee you we will make that happen. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Obviously, uh, uh, your best, my best to Neil as well, seeing he's got COVID at the minute. So it's just, it's, it's one of those things at the minute. And uh, hopefully him and his, his family recover very quickly. And it'll be interesting, Jeff, not to see Neil on TV this weekend, but I'm sure it's, you know, hopefully, please God, next week, you're in London, he's in London, and it's all happening. Let's, let's hope for it. And to all of you, our fans, uh, and everybody that's a part of this tribe, thank you so much for listening every week and being a part of our show. This is your show, and, and uh, again, Mike and I just enjoy bringing it to you every week. So aloha, mele kalikimaka, and, uh, and have a happy, happy new year. Hope to see you in the UK for the new year. Happy holidays, happy Christmas, happy new year, Jeff. See you soon. Cheers, man. Aloha.